This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Well, let's turn to the Word of God because we need the Word of God this afternoon. And my text today is from the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And it's not a passage about some strange monster. It's not a passage about how to interpret a certain set of numbers. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ because we need to hear the voice of Jesus and we need to feel the hand of Jesus and we need to see him appearing among us this afternoon. So Revelation 1, verses 12 to 18. I, that is the Apostle John, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm so glad we got to hear some testimonies about the Smiths because I didn't know them. And like many of us, you know, I'm new to TSAF. I've only been here a couple years. And from what I understand, it was a few years ago they stopped coming here so often so that they could just immerse themselves as fully as possible into the Azeri community in Marniuli. But it's, it's obvious that those of you who did know them felt the worth of their friendship. And it's clear that Ryan and Laura were good people. We throw that term around very easily, but man, they were good people. And they were, of all people, just the kind of people that this dark and evil world of ours can ill afford to lose. And their hearts obviously were were kind and generous hearts. And they, they really spent themselves on behalf of their neighbors. And clearly their road wasn't easy, as we heard, because not only did they lose their little daughter, Shannon, they also went through several miscarriages. And somehow, somehow they endured through great trial. And it seemed like after their years in Marniuli and with this rewoven business, they were they were on the cusp of great things. They were on the edge. It seemed about some kind of breakthrough that God was about to do. And now, Ryan and Laura and Caleb are gone. Now, they were torn from us in the most violent and shocking way. And I think most of us, we're just filled with disbelief 
That's the reaction I hear most of all. How could this have happened? It's, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom what, what tragic chain of events could have led to such a senseless crime. And we may never find out what, what really happened in the mountains that day. But you know what? Even if we did learn the full story, and even if the justice system were to proceed flawlessly, that is not going to bring Ryan and Laura and Caleb back. And their places stand empty. And you know what? There's nothing anyone this afternoon can say to make everything right and good again. And we cannot and we should not quietly accept the horror of death. Especially not in this case. In this situation, it seemed like death revealed itself in its true colors as something senseless and brutal and terrifying. And what we need today is hope that death, the enemy of us all, it's not going to have the final word against Caleb and Laura and Ryan, and that it will not have the final word when it comes for us either. And it will come for us. And so when we are filled with, with grief and fear, here is what we need most of all. Jesus Christ himself, the conqueror of death, to show himself to us and to speak to us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus did not come to explain evil. He came to eliminate it. He did not come to reconcile us with death. He came to resurrect us from it. That is the great hope of the gospel that Ryan and Laura and Caleb have and that we share with them. And so here we are in the book of Revelation, and we meet John, this apostle. And this was a book that was written probably in A.D. 95, at least 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And John is the very last of all the apostles. One by one, beginning with his own brother James, they have died, lynched by crowds or executed by the state. And now John, this elderly, aged apostle, is the last one standing. And the church at this time is facing horrible persecution. And good people, kind, generous, just people who love Jesus, are being struck down one after the other. And John himself has been put into exile on this little island of Patmos, 40 miles off the coast of what is now Turkey, in some kind of penal colony. There were salt mines there that he may have been laboring in. And here is John, the apostle. And man, those 60 years when he was at the tomb, seeing it empty, probably feel like an awful long time ago. And John is facing the apparent triumph of evil, the apparent triumph of death. And John, no doubt, like all the Christians at that time, is feeling the temptation of fear and of despair. And in the midst of this, while he's at this little labor camp on this tiny, rocky island, perhaps the only Christian for hundreds of miles, John is given this colossal, this stupendous revelation of the risen and exalted Christ. 
And man, it's a vision that makes everything else shrink back into right proportion. And this rabbi who John had followed for three years, the one he counted as his best friend, has now, John sees, been transfigured, been changed into someone unutterably glorious. And John has the privilege of seeing Jesus as he now is, far exalted above all rule and power and authority and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And we're not going to go through all the details of what John saw. It's clear that what he saw is deeply symbolic. If you were to draw this, it would be a strange and bizarre painting. John is seeing not what Jesus looks like, but by the inner eye of the Spirit, he is beholding who Christ actually is. He sees Jesus with hair white like wool. Jesus Christ is the Ancient of Days, the one who has no beginning, who has been there for countless centuries and millennia. He sees the eyes of Jesus blazing forth like fire. Christ is the all-seeing, the all-knowing one. And there is no event in God's universe that escapes the holy gaze of Christ. And there is no darkness that is too dark for his burning eyes to penetrate. He has feet like bronze to tread down his enemies. And he has a voice like the roar of many waters. Because when Jesus speaks, he will be heard. And the exultant roar of his victory penetrates to the depths of hell itself. And in Jesus' right hand, John sees seven stars. In the Roman world, the seven stars were the sun and the moon and the five planets that they knew about. And in fact, on Roman coins you can see the emperor holding seven stars in his right hand. But in John's vision, it's Jesus who holds the stars. The destiny of the universe is held in the palm of Jesus, the palm that was pierced for sinners like you and I. Jesus holds the destiny of the world, and from his mouth, is a double-edged sword because Jesus conquers and kills by his word. The same word that spoke the universe into being and all that, it cre- that all that it contains is also powerful enough to uncreate and to destroy at will. And finally, John sees that Jesus has a face shining like the sun in full strength, and there's a glory streaming off the face of Christ that is far, far too bright for any mortal eye to look upon. And John's reaction is to fall at his feet as though dead. And this is not a polite action of reverence. This vision of Jesus has just blown all of John's circuits. It's a deafening sound And it's a blinding brilliance, and it's a burning heat that he experiences, and it just so overloads all of his sensory and mental capacities that he collapses on the ground unconscious. Christ is so terribly awesome now that 
the vision of him, nearly kills the apostle. And then, wonderfully, gloriously, as John is collapsed on the ground at the feet of Jesus, he placed his right hand on me. Jesus, this exalted Jesus, places his right hand. He has not forgotten John, the dearest of his apostles. And he puts on him the touch of brotherhood, a touch of love, and a touch that communicates into John's lifeless body strength and courage. Jesus is exalted, but he is not so exalted that he has forgotten his brothers and sisters. And the hand that holds the seven stars rests on our shoulders here this afternoon, saying, I am with you. And when you feel like you are dead, when you are collapsing in fear, I am here with you. And I am putting my mighty right hand upon you to communicate strength and courage and love into your body. And then Jesus speaks to John. He speaks words to this disciple that he loves. And what does he say? John, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, John. Do not be afraid. In this world where so many things seem to go wrong, where evil seems to triumph, it's tempting to believe that everything is out of control or that if it is in control, it is in control of the evil one, the powers of darkness. But Jesus has come to appear to John, to lonely, fearful, desolate John, to tell him, John, you do not have to be afraid because I am Lord. Yes, there are things in this world that cause us to fear. And this week we are looking into the face of death itself. And we can't just wave that away with some pretty little Bible verses. Death is awful and it's terrifying. And we may be frightened of death. We should be frightened of death. But do you know what? Jesus is not frightened of death. And when we are with Jesus, we do not need to be scared of death either. You see, the only way to banish the fear of death is to be given a more profound knowledge of the glory of Christ, a greater revelation by the Spirit of Christ about the wonder of this Master that we serve. He speaks to him further, and he explains who he is. John, don't be afraid. Now let me explain to you why. Here is who I am, John. And the first thing he says is, John, I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. I am sovereign over both ends of history and over everything in between. Death and evil were not there at the beginning, but I was. And death and evil will not be there at the end. But I will. John, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. And I am the Alpha and the Omega. John, 
Do not be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead, but now, look, I am alive forever and ever. You see, the Jesus that John saw, he recognized as the Jesus that died for us. Remember, John was the only disciple to witness the crucifixion of Jesus. The other men fled. John alone was there watching Jesus be nailed to the cross and dying in agony for our sins. John was there, and he saw those feet now burning like bronze, and those hands holding the seven stars were the very feet and hands that John, with his own eyes, had seen nailed to that rough, brutal cross by the Roman soldiers. And the voice that now thunders like the rush of many waters had once cried out in agony, I thirst. And the eyes blazing like fire, John had seen flickering out in death. Jesus had once died. And he died with the reason. Jesus chose to go for his death. And the death of Jesus despite what the disciples may have felt after Good Friday and before Easter Sunday, was not some horrible, tragic accident. It was not the victory of the powers of evil. It was something that Jesus chose to happen. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus died to conquer death for weak and sinful people like Ryan and Laura and Caleb and like you and I this afternoon. Because death is God's just judgment on human sin. It's the debt we all must pay. And so for death to be defeated, sin had to be paid for. It had to be paid for. And none of us can pay for sin. And to break the curse of death, God's son had to become a human being. He had to become a man, and he had to go to the cross to bear our sins, all of our sins on his shoulders, and he had to enter the tomb to fully satisfy every claim, every single claim that death had on us. That is what Jesus did for Caleb. That is what Jesus did for Laura. That is what Jesus did for Ryan. They were good people. They were among the very best of people. But they knew they were not good enough to conquer sin and death. They were not strong enough to do that. They knew that they needed rescuing. And they trusted Jesus to do that for him. And because Jesus loved that little family, because he was determined that they would not be lost in death, he plunged into the black depths of the grave himself. He did that for them. Jesus went into death, and he went into death in order to conquer and to destroy death. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. When death seized upon Jesus, it broke its teeth on him. And after three days, 
Jesus rose again from the dead. And he left the grave clothed in white, clothed in the power of an indestructible life. And now he says, look, John, look at me. I am alive forever and ever. I am not a weak, ghostly shadow flitting through the underworld. I have been physically resurrected by the power of the Spirit into an exalted and immortal body. And I am no longer subject to weakness and to decay and to death. I am past all that now. I have conquered death and I am alive forever and ever. And because Jesus humbled himself unto death as a servant, God has highly exalted him. He has given him the highest place and the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, willingly or unwillingly, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee below now must bow at the feet of Jesus, at the mighty feet of our great King. And now, Jesus, on his belt, are jangling the keys of death and Hades, death and the grave. Jesus emerged from the tomb victorious. Not only did he conquer death, he spoiled death and he plundered death. And in his hands are the keys of the underworld. Jesus is now Lord of the darkness. Jesus is the king of the tomb. And over the enemy's stronghold now flutters the banner of Christ. And he can lock and unlock the black gates at will. And therefore, if Jesus has the keys... If Jesus has the keys, and there are only one set of keys, if Jesus has the keys, then death and the grave, terrible powers as they are, are not left to riot without government. They have a king. They have a lord. They have a master. And death may be a land of darkness, but there is a sovereign whose burning eyes penetrate its deepest depths, and there is a master hand that holds those keys. Jesus holds the keys, and that means that our Christ, the one who loves us and dies for us, he rules and manages the kingdom of death. Jesus rules and manages the kingdom of death. And he overrules all the counsels of hell, all the wicked plans and schemes of the evil one, overruled by Jesus. Either he's restraining Satan's plans to kill and steal and destroy, or, more mysteriously yet, somehow bending and turning those designs to serve God's glorious plan, a plan of goodness and blessing for his people. There is a throne of evil, and we felt its power this week. Make no mistake, it wasn't just an accident. There was a deep and a dark evil at work in these deaths. But there is a throne, 
even higher than the throne of evil, and that is the throne of Jesus. He holds the key of death and the grave. And he holds that key for Ryan and for Laura and for Caleb. And their death was entirely in his hands. It was entirely in his hands. And their days were numbered before the beginning. And not a hair fell from their head without the will of Jesus until the time that Christ had chosen had come. And when the time came, Jesus himself, it was his hand holding the keys and unlocking the door of death to bring them in. When their time came to die, they did not die alone in the mountains. Jesus was with them. And yes, they died in terror and violence, but yet they fell asleep in Jesus And when our time comes to die, Jesus himself is going to be there to escort us through the land of the dead. Jesus will be there to escort us. You know, it's kind of a sweet thing that Jesus left his grave clothes behind in the tomb, neatly folded on that bench. It's as though he left them for his people. That when it's our time to go to die, we can use the grave clothes of Christ, smelling his own smell upon them, knowing this is a place that Jesus has gone through before us, and he will bring us through death when our time comes. But Jesus also has the keys that will lead us out of death. See, when we die... We trust that our spirits immediately go to be safe in the arms of Jesus in heaven. And Ryan and Laura and Caleb are with Christ right now. They're with Shannon. They're with their other children that they lost. They are safe in the arms of Jesus in perfect peace and in perfect joy. And soon their bodies will be put under the ground where they will sleep and they will slumber awaiting awaiting a trumpet, awaiting the trumpet of the archangel, awaiting the sound of the key in the lock. There's a day coming, and may it come soon. There is a day coming when Christ will turn those keys in the lock, and the bolts of the grave are going to be shot back, and the huge iron gates are going to swing open, and the prisoners of death, will pour out free forever. And then the body sown in weakness is going to be raised in power. And what was sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And then at last, death, the last enemy, is going to be destroyed. The fortress will be dynamited, and Jesus will throw those keys into the bottomless pit, never to be used again. So yeah, we're, we're grieving today. Today is a sad day, and we need to give grief its due. And we may be well, well be grieving for a long time, but we're not grieving as those without hope. We're not grieving as those without hope. And death does not mean 
endless terror. It does not mean the oblivion of darkness. When we pass through those gray regions, we are not passing outside Christ's kingdom. He reigns there too. You know, there's an experience I'm sure we have all had if we've lived in Georgia for a while. Going to visit a friend in their apartment and you go up in that creaky, tiny little elevator and the door opens and you're in a hallway where there are no lights. (laughs) I don't know why. People just don't want to pay for those light bulbs. And you have to grope your way down that dark hallway and your children are holding your hand and squeezing a little close to you. You have to grope your way down that dark hallway to see your friends. And Ryan and Laura and Caleb had to go down a dark hallway. And it was, it was scary. It was a scary, scary experience for them. But when they came around the corner, they saw a door open for them. And light was streaming from that doorway. And they heard the sound of laughter and singing. They heard voices they recognized deep in their hearts. And they heard another voice that they had never heard before, but that went deep to the core of their beings, a deep voice, a joyful voice, the voice of Christ himself, welcoming them home. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. There is a feast for you. Sit down and rest. That is the hope they had. That is the hope that we have today. And now let's pray that God would make that hope dearer and stronger and sweeter to us by his spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we do not die alone and we do not go into death without hope. We thank you, Lord, that you are stronger than death, that you are bigger than death, and that you will outlast death. There is a time coming when each of us will have to go into death. Fill our hearts with courage now, Lord. Fill our hearts with joy. And even as well as we grieve the loss of our friends, fill them with the sweetness of your spirit, with the consolation that can only come from above. Be with us now, Lord, and help us to settle our hope today more firmly, more exclusively on Jesus Christ himself. In his great name, in his awesome name, we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.